New Day Vine, the Vine Campus of New Day Community Church. We are continuing our message, our series on kingdom parables. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus talks a lot about it. It's actually his primary message, and people had questions about it 2,000 years ago. And when they asked Jesus, hey, what is this kingdom of God thing like? He would answer in parables. He'd say, well, it's like this, well, it's like that. And we're diving into those parables to kind of get at the meat of what Jesus was trying to say when he was describing this thing we're invited to live in called the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to talk about the king of the kingdom. We talked last week about the invitation to the kingdom, and this week we're talking about the king that is doing the inviting. Who rules this place? Who's in charge? You know, the character of a place takes on the character of its leader. Amen? A lot of times, that's the way it works. So it's kind of important to talk about the king of the kingdom. We're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son. I've never preached a full message on this. I've referenced it, but I've never just preached it. And uh, we're going to do that today. And we're going to start by reading the whole thing. Next slide, please, Keith. Here we go. Luke 15, 11 to 32. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father... Father, give me my share of the estate. He's asking for his inheritance before the dad's even dead. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Apparently he got a lot and he wasted it all. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Next, please. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. No love for him. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Next, please. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Switching clickers. Not worthy. Yes, it is. Amen. Somebody say amen. 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 All right. But the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to what? What's that word? Celebrate. Just spoiler alert, that's key for this whole message. Celebrate? All right, we move on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So they were really partying down. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and, you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, 
You killed a fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's Luke 15, 11 to 32. There is a lot here. I want to focus specifically about the character of the Father, because the Father is God, and God is the King of the kingdom. We can learn a lot of good stuff, and we can learn a few unnerving things about the way God operates in this parable. So we're going to dive in, and I want everybody to be encouraged at the end of this message. So that's my goal. Sound good? Yep. So this is not a hellfire and brimstone message. Quite the opposite. Today's a good day to get saved, actually. So let's start. Number one, this is not an encouraging one. God will not stop you yeah. from doing dumb stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Everybody has a conscience. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, guiding you, prodding you, shining a light. And yet, there's an admonition so many places in the Bible to keep in step with the Spirit, right? Do not grieve the Spirit. Obey the Lord. Why would those be in there if you did not have the opportunity to disobey? And in this parable, we see that God is not a fail-safe to prevent you from doing really destructive things. We have this kid that the Father loves. The kid asked for the inheritance. Essentially, I've heard it preached a lot of different times that this was like telling the father, I wish you were dead. Give me the money now. Incredibly insulting. And not only that, it's dumb. It's a dumb thing to do. And yet, what does the father do? He gives him money. And then, the kid wants to leave. He wants to pack up all his stuff and set out for a foreign country. And we do not have any verses about the father trying to dissuade the son. The father lets him go, knowing that it is a really really stupid, bad decision. But God will not stop you from doing dumb stuff. This is all over the Bible. Here's a passage from Judges. Who's read the book of Judges? One of the most disturbing, weird books in the Bible. Dude, everything falls apart in the book of Judges. It's like the first time the people of Israel are on their own to obey God. And there's a recurring theme, and this is it. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 21, 25. That means it all fell apart. People were crazy. And if you read Judges, you see it all falling apart and people doing crazy, weird, and horrific things because God is not stopping them from doing those things. Two Proverbs say the same thing. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25. And that is this. There is a way that seems right to an idiot kid. I'm sorry. There is a way that seems right to man... Sorry, I was an idiot kid. I feel I had the moral right to say that. But its end is the way of death. It seems like a good idea to do dumb stuff sometimes. And you cannot count on God to come down and physically restrain you and stop you from doing dumb things. He will not. This should be unnerving. Which leads us to the second thing we learn about the Father, the King of the Kingdom. The king of the kingdom allows the consequences of the dumb stuff that we do. This is really disconcerting. The kid lives the crazy life, and what happens? Magically, there's always money in his bank account. The father keeps wiring him dough, Western Union, and the foreign land. No, he runs out of money. That's what happens when you spend all your money. The consequences come home to roost. And then a famine comes. Well, now you're broke, and there's no food. You're in hard times, man. You've got to get a job. So now he's in a foreign country, broke, probably with a reputation as a kind of a, a loser. 
you know, that wasted all his money and he's got to hire himself out to get a job. This is a bad situation, guys. And not only does God, the king of the kingdom, not prevent the consequences from our dumb stuff, we see him actually encouraging consequences for dumb stuff. I'm, I'm sorry I have to preach this, but I do. Check it out. Deuteronomy 28 has some wonderful blessings. Okay? It's God saying through Moses, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. Guys, there are 68 verses in this chapter, and the first 14 are blessings. Would anyone like to guess what the other verses are? Probably not good. They are curses. God curses consequences. If you do dumb stuff, this is going to happen. You know, and God is good, and he casts a vision for both. This is not God being mean and saying, boy, I can't wait until you mess up because I'm going to do all this stuff to you. This is God saying for 14 verses, it's going to be so good if you just do the right thing. Yep. And for the rest of the chapter saying, you need to know, because I know you, how bad it's going to be if you do the wrong thing. This is in Deuteronomy 28:45, kind of right in the middle. All these curses will come upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you. In other words, you cannot escape these consequences until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. Because you chose to do dumb stuff, when you do better, these consequences are going to come. <laughs> consequences are like, if you're like running from something in a bad dream, and like, you guys forget how to run in dreams? Does that happen to everybody? What is it? Like, video games have better physics than me in my dreams. I can't figure it out. Like, I don't know if like, my brain can't figure out how gravity works, but I can never run away from anything in my dreams. I stink at running. God is saying the consequences are going to overtake you. They will run faster than you. You can't run fast enough. I want to put a fine point on this because these two twin commandments seem mean, but they are not mean, and we're going to find out why at the end. God won't stop you from doing dumb stuff. God will not stop the consequences of the dumb stuff. And this is the last kind of nasty one. You guys want it? Sure. Everybody's so excited. God will allow you to become desperate. God does not sweep in and rescue the son when he's, when he's poor and he's got to hire himself out. At no point does the father decide, well, I guess he's had enough. I better go get him. Do you notice that in the parable? You did dumb stuff. I'm not going to stop you. The consequences are coming. I'm not stopping the consequences. And things get really bad. In my own life, should I tell a story or just preach it straight? Tell a story. Tell a story. Okay, I'll tell, tell you a story. Tell a story and preach the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell that story later. So I got plenty of stories about how consequences came to roost. But you become desperate. No, I will tell you. I will tell this. When I gave my life back to the Lord, I had done a series of dumb stuff and was experiencing the consequences of that dumb stuff. And I will just set the scene for the day that my mom drove me to Dublin Baptist Church. And made me talk to the pastor who I didn't think would be in the office on a Monday. I was smoking my last cigarette. It was raining. I had no food, not enough alcohol to get drunk. And my roommate, who he was like the mule for a cocaine dealer. That's, that was life. <clears throat> he said he was going to give us money for rent. He always was on the couch when I walked out in the morning. And he was gone. He had no intention of giving us rent. And my other roommate had spent the rent money I gave him on prescription medication and weed. Oh, lovely. And I got a knock at the door, and it's the lady from the office who says, we have three days to get out. So I smoke my cigarette, and I'm like, you know, how did I get in this mess? 
things seemed pretty bad. And that was actually the beginning of my road back up, which maybe I'll tell another time, but does that sound like a desperate spot? Yeah. It's real life, by the way. I didn't even embellish. That might not be drastic enough. It was a stinky day, man. Thank you for buying me a pack of smokes, though. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> She's a good mom. I called her up. I was like, I need a pack of cigarettes. She's like, you need to go to church. I was like, I'll go. <laughs> this is a true story. I was like, I'll go to church if you buy me a pack of cigarettes. She says, okay, and drives me to the church. Right then. It was amazing. But then you did buy me the cigarettes. Good job, I needed those two at the time. All right, get serious. This is not supposed to be the encouraging part. God will allow you to become desperate. The kid is getting no love from the locals. He is starving and they're letting him die. You notice that? Yeah. They gave him a job, but they're not paying him. They're just waiting for him to die. His job is with pigs and pig food. He's Jewish. Yeah. He is utterly ashamed and humiliated. I wonder if we're supposed to insinuate that the people who gave him that job knew what they were doing. Yes. They're intentionally embarrassing and shaming him and just watching him starve to death. This is a bad spot, guys. This doesn't get much worse. And yet, in the Bible... We see God orchestrate these types of situations. I believe that if you read Hosea chapter 2 alongside Luke 15, you will see a shocking parallel. And I just want to dive into Hosea 2 just ever so briefly. Just step my foot in the water. This is God describing how he's going to win back Israel, here portrayed as his wife. God says, this is my master plan to get them to fall back in love with me. First, I will stop all her celebrations. Her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. Her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. This is, this is the God of Jacob, the faithful one, the compassionate. This is his master plan for getting people back. Desperation. He will allow you to do dumb stuff. He will allow the consequences, and he welcomes and uses desperation. Well, the kid, it turns out, is not an idiot. After all, not at the bottom. He has the best idea of his whole life. Go back home. And he says, maybe I should go home. It's like, and, and the Bible actually says, when he came to himself. And I think I was reading a Spurgeon commentary, and Spurgeon says, don't read past that. That's important. That means that when he was being an idiot, he wasn't himself. He yeah. came to himself when he realized, oh my gosh, I remember who my father is. I remember what he's like. And he says this, I'm going to go back, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Pause. Every time I preach this, I point this out. He is right. He's right. He has accurately assessed his situation. He has sinned against heaven and earth and he is no longer worthy to be called the father's son. Moving on, though, he knows the character of his father, and he says, hey, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food to spare? He's like, the people that my father hires, day laborers, are doing better than most other people in my town. They've got an abundance. This is my, this is my plan. Make me like one of your hired servants. I'm just going to ask my dad for a job. I don't even have to be a son. I'm not asking to be a slave, which back in the day would have been welcomed into the family and into the home. You can fire a day laborer. You can fire a paid servant. Isn't that a weird thing to think about? This is a step down from a household slave. He's saying, look, you just make me like one of the people that you pay day by day. And if I don't work hard enough to make it worth your money, you can fire me. Man. You know? 
But, uh, you know, you can get rid of me whenever you want. Just let me come back. I'm starving to death here. So that's his plan. So he sets back. Now we switch focus. We switch from the son and the idiot stuff that he did and the consequences and the desperation to the reaction of the father. And this is where we get to learn the fun stuff. Yeah. God's love, the Father's love, the King of the Kingdom's love is both passionate and unchanged. Not changed at all. The Father sees the kid coming from a long way off. This insinuates strongly that he's looking for him to come back. Alright? Now, rather than respond like somebody whose pride is wounded, somebody who's been made the laughing stock of the entire village, which he probably has, let's not forget that the son has exported the bad name of his father now to lands abroad. He sees him coming a long way off and runs to cover the ground between them. It's not fast enough for the father. Once that father sees that this son who has basically wished him dead and taken all his money and ruined it. Once he sees that he's trying to come home, he's a long way off, the father can't take it. The character of the father is like, I see his heart, I see his willingness to come home, I can run faster than he's walking, and I need to see him right now. And the father runs. Something embarrassing and very uncommon for old men back in that day, but we don't need to go outside the parable to see what's going on here, do we? Because we read the next verse. The father embraces him and starts kissing him in joy. This is so unexpected. I, I, I don't even know if the son would know how to take this. How do you, this is not what he thought was going to happen. He's running to me. He's kissing me. He's hugging me. So the son, geez, I don't know how mentally beaten down he was from what he'd been through and his shame and his humiliation and the, the dirtiness of how he lived. And we're going to hear some of that later. But he had been a bad dude. He knows how rotten he was. So he launches into his prepared speech. He says, you know, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off. We're going to read about that in a minute. The father doesn't let him finish his spiel. The father doesn't let him get to ask to be something other than a son. Because the father will entertain no other ideas other than reinstituting his child. It's sonship or nothing. You want to come back? You're a son. I don't want to hear this garbage about a day laborer. You know, you come back to the family. The kid isn't even allowed to pitch his idea. That is beautiful. And the father says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That is astounding. No shame, no embarrassment, no pride or ego getting in the way on the part of the father. He's just happy that the kid is home. And the kid has to be shocked because the next thing that happens is that God, well, yeah, let me make these points first because this is important. You cannot be so insulting to God. You cannot be so sinful. You cannot be so shameful. And you cannot be so dirty that the Father won't run to you. Wow. This child is the picture-perfect example of somebody that did everything wrong. He insulted the good name of the father. He spread his bad name around. He did everything the father probably told him not to do. He was just an absolute wreck loser. And the father ran to him. Jesus is telling this to a, par a parable to real people. Jesus is saying, hey, all of you guys are welcome. You start walking towards me and the king of the kingdom will run towards you. 
God, the King of the Kingdom, the Father, is also compassionate at his own great expense. This is interesting. The kid's big idea, remember, was I'm going to come back and ask to work for, some, work for him, right? He said, make me like one of your servants. Well, when you get hired for a job, right, you, you get hired to do a job and the, the employer thinks, well, that's probably worth, I don't know, if that's worth 14 bucks an hour to me, I'll pay you 10 why? Because he's trying to make a few bucks. You know what I mean? Like, he hires you because you can help make him money. This is the way it works. You know, when I went to Walmart and I was making eight seventy-five dollars to start back in the day, they probably figured my work was worth a little bit more than eight seventy-five, dollars or else I wouldn't be doing anything good for them. Right? I exist to help them make a profit. When the father reinstitutes this child as a son, he immediately spends money. He expends a whole lot, actually. None of the things that the Father gives the Son are necessities. David Guzik points this out. They're all meant to honor him. Look at this. The best robe, a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and the fatted calf. The calf that they have been fattening up for a special party. This isn't like, you know, hey, get him a better jacket. He's looking a little shabby. I got some old sweat clothes in the drawer. At great expense... The father welcomes the son home. This is amazing. He did much more than merely meet the son's needs. And when we return to God, we get quite a surprise. I, I remember I was, uh, I don't want to go too much into that, blah, 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 skipping details. Okay, I'm doing a devotional, sorry. Some of them I don't want to share. But it's called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And I was just reading the word for the first time in a long time in this Bible study, and it finally broke me down, man. You know what I mean? And I was crying, and I realized that God would take me back. You know, it was actually the story of Moses. The Bible study points out that Moses was a fugitive from the law and a murderer and a coward and kind of an angry dude. And yet God shows up in the desert and says, hey, I want to use you. You haven't disqualified yourself. You haven't blown it. I got this amazing plan to change history, and guess who's right in the middle of it? You, man. Yeah. And Moses is like, me, I'm a murderer and a fugitive and a coward, and I have an anger problem. Jesus is like, no, no, actually, you're going to be the greatest and most famous prophet in the entire Old Testament. What do you think? Come on in. He makes up for lost time. When you come back to God, I found out he just, he like scoots you forward. Some of you who have gone astray and come back, you probably know the feeling Amen. of like, like it's going to take me like 10 years to get back to where I was. And it takes you one year and suddenly you're like, in some ways I feel more mature. I actually feel guilty that I had this experience and I got to experience coming back. You know, this is almost better than, don't go off the rails, son. Where are you at? <laughs> God is compassionate at his own great expense. No doubt Jesus is thinking about the cross when he tells this parable. Because he's welcoming his lost children home at the expense of his life. And it's a price that he's running to you to give. And then, oh, behold. <laughs> They're having a dance so, party. Then they decide to ditch work for the rest of the day and party. And this yes. is another main point of the sermon. They actually partied so loud that the older son the stick in the mud, here's what's going on and comes in from the field. They were getting down. They killed the fatted calf. I mean, I don't know if this is like an ancient kegger or what, but this was a big deal. Okay? And no more work was done that day. All productivity was done. Okay? So then we have the older brother. This dude, he's the one that tells us that the younger brother spent all the money on prostitutes and wild living. He's the one that has to say, 
Don't you remember how bad he was? Don't you remember all the shameful stuff he did? You never want anybody finding out that's your kid, do you? He, went, he wasted all your money on prostitutes. Come on. And yet, the father goes out to him and says this. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been saying, slaving for you, and never disobeyed your orders. The guy's refusing to go to his brother's party. The father comes out and he says, You know what's wrong? You want to know what's wrong? You seriously don't know what's wrong? How many years have I been working for you? Slaving. Never disobeying your orders. And yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The celebration is the issue. Ooh. He's like, this kid you appreciate, you don't appreciate me. This kid you love, this kid that wastes all your money, you kill the fattened calf, I don't even get a young goat, look what I've done. When are you going to appreciate me? When do I get to experience this? Do I have to go to a foreign land and wreck my life and then come home and then I finally get to experience the benefit of being your son? This is really the issue. But there's a fundamental misunderstanding on the part of the older brother. You kill the fattened calf for him, he's in disbelief. <coughs> my son, the father says, and he actually uses a very soft word. He actually uses the word for child. He says, my child, it's very tender. And the baby cries at just the right moment. Well, I'm getting to see for the first time, by the way, after service. Listen to what the father says. And somebody tell me the implication when I'm done. Probably my mom. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. What's the implication? You're my son. You'll always be my son. I'll always be your no, father. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be out in that. <laughs> you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The kid is saying, you don't even give me a young goat to celebrate with my friends, and you kill the fattened calf for this kid? I'm slaving away, I'm doing all this stuff? The point is, the father is telling him, hey, if you aren't enjoying a party, that is not my problem. I don't have to give you anything. It's all yours. The implication is, go kill some goats and party with your friends. If you are not enjoying being a child of God, it's not God's problem. That's right. Come on. He's Come better on. than you think. <laughs> he has a misunderstanding both of what is what belongs to him. He has a misunderstanding of the character of the father. He has a misunderstanding of what he's allowed to do. This is the perfect, actually, if you read what Bill Menzer wrote, Pastor Bill, on the bulletin about Moo Moo, this is a perfect example. The kid thinks he's got like an 8 by 8 yard and he's got 20 acres. You know what I mean? And, and the father, rather than just totally blast him with this and say, you moron, are you out of your mind? What is your problem? He says, my child, you, you just don't understand. Like, you're always with me. He's like, I know you're faithful. And that's why everything I have is yours. Will you please party? Will you please go get some goats and call your friends and enjoy your life in my house? My goodness. But right now we need to go party for your brother because he's back in this good spot and you've never left. Wow. Guys, I want to encourage you today. If you are not enjoying being in the kingdom, if you are not enjoying being a child of God, something is wrong. But it's not wrong with God. It's wrong with you. Us. I'll say us. That's softer. Something's wrong with you people. <laughs> 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 I'm just got to work for the Lord. Like, from here back, there's just problems. <laughs> I can tell you more of my story later. You will feel better. 
What knowledge about the king do you need tonight? Some aspect of the character of the king is for all of us today. Some of us need the triple warning at the beginning. He won't prevent you from doing dumb stuff. He won't prevent the consequences. And he will not prevent absolute desperation from setting in in your life. If you think he will, if you're playing with the idea that he's some sort of fail-safe or, or a stop, man, don't count on that. Repent, turn, stop it. It gets bad. Consequences come. That's right. But maybe you need the reminder that God, his love is passionate and unchanged no matter what. Let me say something about this consequences thing. You know what's weird? I believe in consequences because I live in the real world and I have two eyes and two ears. Right? right. Consequences come. What happened to the consequences when the kid goes back home? Were there any? Are there any no. consequences? No. No, it's, it's oddly like the consequences are gone. Now, this doesn't always happen in the real world, but there's a, very, there's a spiritual truth here. That there are no consequences for us on an ultimate level on God's end once we come home. The son never welcomes anyone back and says, but I'm going to remember what you did for the rest of your life. That does not happen. And, and in real time, in the here and now, sometimes the consequences are removed. I've known two people who wish they could get rid of smoking cigarettes. And I was, I was praying with them, praying with one guy, and I heard the testimony of another guy, where the Lord delivered them from nicotine addiction. Amen. And they just didn't want cigarettes anymore. That is a deliverance from consequences that they brought on themselves. Right. But God does that kind of thing. And I would just encourage you, man, be bold, be brash, be brave. Boldly approach the throne of grace. If you have consequences in your life that you know you justly deserve, now that you know what the character of the king of the kingdom is like, ask him to get rid of those. And he just may. Amen. Amen. And third, some people need to know that they should dive into God's goodness until they actually enjoy being his child. <coughs> is God better than you think? Yes. Or do you have a little bit of an older brother? Well, kick that guy out and start enjoying being God's child. Party a little bit. We have an opportunity tonight yes. at Shamrock's house, who I will hand the mic to presently. Thank you, guys. Thank you.